Welcome to Frednaut with me, Rosie Bennett. Frednaut is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the heroes and champions in our field about the lessons that have defined their careers and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process. So let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realize that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a company with real heart, a fascinating history, and my guitar string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. In today's episode, I talked to German musician, videographer, founding member of Open Strings Berlin, and first and foremost, a friend, Nicholas Hellman. A creative and a maker at heart, Nick and I have been firm friends since we first met at a guitar festival during a period that was a rupture in both of our lives. Nick is a pioneer of change in the classical guitar world. Of Open Strings Berlin, he says, what does an artist look like? If such a question offers anything, it may be to open up a moment's pause a space for the messy, the ordinary, and the human project of authenticity. What is a lesson you've learned that has been the most meaningful to you? It's so hard to choose one, especially after this last year, um, because I feel like, probably for most people, but um, me being someone who does normally not tend to overthink stuff, um, I also had a few moments in the past year where I had time and also the necessity to think over stuff. So I've had a few revelations. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't even want to say lesson learned, but maybe um, realized that there might be a lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think actually the most recent one happened in a phone call that we had like mm. the other week. And... It's around the question, am I still a musician? Am I still a guitarist? Um, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. I'm doing so many things that are not directly linked to the guitar. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a lot of other things that are not linked. But they are linked to art. And they are linked to my creative side. Mm. They train my creative mind, my feeling for, um, I don't know, my taste, mm. my artistic taste, I would say, and there's an overlap between the crafting arts and, I don't know, what, like, fine arts, music, I don't know which is which, <laughs> mm -hmm. but please cut that out, <laughs> but um, um, realizing that Everything that I do on a creative level comes down to or makes makes me a better musician as well, even though I'm not practicing every day anymore um, mm. or I'm earning more money with a lot of other jobs that are not playing the guitar, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. by definition, am I still a professional? I don't know. Or I didn't know. And then when we talked about it, I realized that whenever I touch the instrument, I 
I feel like a musician. I feel like I can express myself. I feel like I want to do this right now. And I think that, for my definition, is enough. So I can say, yeah, I, I don't need to do this every day. I think identity is a really weird one. This is what we were talking about. Yeah. Why do you feel that um, guitar is so much a part of your identity? Is it because of the time you've done it for or the devotion? Because I know both of us have had complicated relationships with our instrument over the years. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting question because it might just be the reason that I haven't spent as much time filming or I don't know, talking about project management or stuff like that. But I don't mm -hmm. think in the end the other things will get me this excited. They just get me really excited right now as well. Who can say what you are and what you are not? Mm -hmm. Only you. Yeah. Only you, because it comes down to what you feel. And if you feel that you're a musician when you're making music, like who dares to say that you're not? You're gonna have a fun time editing this because sometimes, like I, I go in circles That's okay. and say stuff <laughs> That's three times. And fine. If I see it from the outside and sort of relate it to what I've been sort of going through the last five years. I'd say as a kind of, um, the reason it's difficult to put into words of what you've learned is because so much of it is looking forward and living now instead of dwelling on the past, which I think was a big part of how we were both brought up in the music world. You know what? I think it actually in the end meant that we were kind of running from, <laughs> from the past. Not just a not looking at the past too much, but being unhappy with their circumstances yeah um and i like i can really only speak for myself the further i got in my time at university the unhappier i got with what i was studying myself into like the field of work the mm. a lot of the people um the feeling of the scene in general mm -hmm. and then almost like out of protest I wanted to do something else, basically. Yeah. I wanted to do something else. Mm -hmm. I still want to play guitar and I still want to make music, but I also want to be able to do other things whilst still identifying as a musician, as a guitarist. Even if you're not mm -hmm. engaging with anything creative, you can still think of yourself as a creator or as a musician because that's how you see the world. That's the eyes that you see the world through. Right. Um, I love that you mentioned the word protest because protest is something I wanted to talk about specifically with you. Open Strings Berlin as a project has created some, I mean, just incredible material, incredible audios and interviews and a real insight into the people behind the people that we see on stage. But the genesis of Open Strings Berlin wasn't guitar videos. It was definitely a protest against what was already out there. And I'd love to talk a little bit about the origins of that sort of protest movement. You're totally right. It was pure protest. Mixed with a little bit of something else. Hendrik and I both made the experience, and I think all of us have, of being at a guitar festival or at least speaking to other guitarists because we like to spend time with each other. Mm -hmm. And there is so much complaining. A lot of things that are mentioned are mentioned by almost everyone. Mm -hmm. Not being super happy about traveling 
to a competition next week. Also, what what do competitions mean? Like, I, I should stop playing them or... Yeah, guitarists mostly play for other guitarists. We all want to reach a different audience. I don't know. There's really a lot of people complaining mm -hmm. about the classical guitar community. Mm -hmm. At some point, I thought, like, somebody should just change something. Because when there's so many people complaining about it, it should be rather easy to bring all these people who are unhappy together in one room and have like a room of uh, people I want to hang out with mm -hmm. because they 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 actually do like to focus on the things that they claim they want to focus on in their protest speeches at a guitar festival but in the end I feel like or I felt like we are very comfortable complaining about these things mm -hmm. because it's also just part of what you do in the guitar scene mm -hmm. so there was the side of me already experiencing a lot of negativity from inside the scene mm -hmm. about the scene mm -hmm. or towards the scene and at the same time Hendrik and I were also still studying guitar and thought we should do something for our portfolio and maybe like to up our booking a little bit mm -hmm. uh, make videos of each other so we have something that we can send out with booking emails uh, to get concerts. So we filmed a session of very, very sad looking videos. Like they are really, you can, please don't try to find them, but they are still there. Um, and they look like a lot of other videos. Mm. And I cannot imagine how that is appealing to any non-guitarist. Mm -hmm. Because any non-guitarist will not just look at the fretboard and your right hand mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> the non-guitarist wants to see a nice looking video yeah. and this is how we this is how we experienced hey first of all the filming experience was nice but we can do better mm -hmm. than this and ah, okay so now we understand how most of the videos are done mm -hmm. let's try and make that a bit more special plus let's do it with the people who are actually looking for something like that yeah who want to present themselves in an individual in a unique way and not do just another new guitar video mm -hmm. so that was the protest behind it was to basically collect all the protesters and actually do the thing that everybody apparently is wishing for it was interesting when it first sort of came out when it was We had like the first five people, I guess. It really felt like a protest on the normal style of videos that you would see, which favor interpretation and virtuosity. Right. What was the response to it like in the beginning? We experienced a lot of good feedback for the music or performance video quality, probably in terms of it having a little bit more of a film look yeah then just i put my mm -hmm. phone in selfie mode and played to it yeah uh, to try and create an actual set mm. and setting for the piece and so we got good feedback for that and then i think the interviews that we did with each artist were actually the thing that made it very different from from the other channels that already existed back then mm. and For me, also, the interviews have always been the most important part of it. 
it puts the whole performance video in perspective. Mm. It's the time when you have the chance to actually get to know the person behind the video and hopefully see that it's like not fake because it's very easy to make a good looking video and then that's that. Yeah. Like we could we could pick out a fancy location and um create a nice set and then film something there and it would look awesome and everybody would go whoa but that's not the important thing the important thing is with every artist in every piece we try to find a location together with the artist for the piece that there has to be some kind of connection if it's that you're thinking of a color when you're playing that piece if it's a historical uh, connection between the piece and the location whatever it doesn't matter mm. There was a concept behind it that was close to, as close as we could get to what the artist wanted to express mm -hmm. at the time. Actually, how did you select the people that you were going to feature? We played roulette. Um, well, in the beginning, obviously, because we didn't have a lot to show for, and we, mm -hmm. I think we recorded 14 videos before we even went online. Mm -hmm. So we approached everyone that we wanted to work with. And then after half a year or something, a lot of people were asking us if, if they can be part of it. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that we always wanted to find out was, do you want to be part of this community? Or do you just want a fancy, nice looking video with a yeah. channel that is mm -hmm. young and upcoming? Mm -hmm. Because if the second would be the case then we don't want to work with you because that's not we like we've never seen ourselves as video providers mm -hmm. so we don't provide videos for money we yeah. didn't charge anyone for making a video for the first two years mm -hmm. <laughs> we just wanted to build something like a family that has a similar progressive mindset towards what to do with a classical guitar mm -hmm. i can only say this much about like the selection process it was a lot about like do we get along can we work together mm -hmm. because if we don't there's no way we will have a interview or an experience at the sometimes like four or five day shoot mm -hmm. that is as honest as it can be that point where you stop making small talk <laughs> where you start trusting the other person so much that you have no fear of saying anything to them. That was mm. the point that I wanted to reach. Mm. So, Nick, I'm going to ask you, how am I to say your name? Do I call you Nicholas all the time? I've never called you Nicholas, but I call you Nick, yeah. but not many people call you Nick. No, exactly. You know what? We've known each other for so long. It right. feels like a bit of a starter question to ask you what your name is. <laughs> okay, right. What is a lesson that you would like to impart? When I talk about stuff, while I'm talking, I'm realizing so much. Talk about your ideas. Whenever you have an idea of any kind that you, that you want to do something, that you want to go through with something, that something would make you happy, that you want to see this change, you want to, I don't know, don't keep them to yourself, but try and find people you can openly talk with mm. about your ideas because it will help you so much letting that idea grow and it will not 
get worse. Mm -hmm. You will only get richer. You can still make your own choices. Yeah. Um, if you don't talk about it, if you try to do everything in your own head, you're blocking yourself from so much wisdom. Especially for this generation, because talking about stuff is so important. And you're right, sharing ideas is so important. And I think that we come from a generation that saw just, um, I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a strange analogy, but looking at how products used to come into market and how they come into market now, mm. um, I think that the previous generation were quite used to the idea that if you told anybody your idea, they might steal it and um, sort of patenting culture. Totally. Without really, you know, realizing, mm. I mean, now we live in a, a sort of a world where like, collaboration is so much more important than being the first one to do something because you see it also with social media platforms you don't have to be the first you just have to be the best um, and definitely in something like music which is completely collaborative um, you know obviously a performer doesn't exist without the audience um, and also where we do something that inherently relies on each person's individuality and their experiences, their emotions, the things that are completely unique to everyone. Even if you talk about what you're gonna do for your whole life, no one can ever do what you do, um, not in the way that you do it. So talking about it doesn't lose you anything. Exactly, because an idea is also only just an idea. Yeah. Until, until you start working on and with the idea, mm. trying to uh, implement it in some way, Mm -hmm. until then it's just an idea and if somebody else does it if they get inspired by talking to you about your idea and mm -hmm. they go through with something and leads them to to another idea that is obviously inspired by yours but it turns out to be something great then great yeah exactly. it was only you only had an idea you can't yeah. have a patent patent patent, patent uh, yeah. on on an idea and yeah. if your idea and you're talking about it led to somebody else having an even better idea then great don't yeah. be possessive of your own ideas uh, because you want the the credit mm -hmm. yeah if it if it leads to the world being a much cooler place and you get to have an impact on other people's lives and happiness that should be worth it I was reading about this recently, how there's a kind of collective consciousness with ideas, because the ideas that we end up having are always presupposed by some kind of necessity for them, which means, you know, that's why you had the space race or the race to create the first light bulb or the telephone. All of those things were presupposed by the need to communicate, the need to see in the dark, the need to explore. And we all feel that. So even if you keep your idea tucked away in your mind someone will come up with it because the reason you've probably had that idea is basically because there is a need that a lot of people can see in the world for that yeah and it is interesting because it brings up the conversation which i think is something we should talk about more in artistic fields between invention and innovation and how really good innovation is much more valuable than good invention right and also don't be egoistic about it yeah why do you need to be the one who's doing the innovation? Wouldn't the innovation be a hundred times better if we all did it together and yeah. if we all shared our information and our mm -hmm. personal process of it? That is actually really important that you're not looking at it from a perspective of 
you, but as a collective? What can we do for sort of the greater good of the music world? Because that will always, I mean, if you do, the, I mean, it's kind of ironic, but the ironic part of it is that that will always reflect well on you anyway. Yep. So really what we need is, is the confidence, the confidence in ourselves to talk more, but also the confidence in the people around us, that those people actually can give you valuable insights on the things you're thinking that this isn't yeah. like a journey that you're doing alone. Yeah, exactly. Talk about mm -hmm. things and try and keep an open mind and try to be as excited as a child about stuff you don't know anything about um, when mm -hmm. other people tell tell you about it. I don't know, it sounds so cliche, but it, I think only really good stuff will come from that. I think it's also important to remember to forgive yourself like you would a child too. Because it doesn't matter if you're six or you're 56. If you don't know it, you don't know it. And that's fine. If you've yeah. not come across it before, there's no reason why you should have done. Um, yeah. There's an infinite yeah. amount of knowledge out there just because you don't know that one Marla symphony doesn't mean that you don't know anything. And then if you try something and you fail, like failure needs a whole new definition. Not trying something out because you're afraid that you might fail. Um, prohibits or stops or blocks your learning process. Yeah. One mm -hmm. thing I wanted to add to that is mm -hmm. that I started teaching at a university. First of all, I started off with only teaching project management for musicians. Mm -hmm. Through that job, I got into teaching at another university, which is a school of management, Berlin School of Management. Mm -hmm. And I sit in front of engineers mm -hmm. to like renewable energy projects and stuff like that mm -hmm. and the subject is called entrepreneurship mm -hmm. sitting in mm -hmm. front of people who've been working in wind and solar energy for like 15 years and now they have their own business idea and they want to go through with it can be kind of intimidating but to see what they gain from talking to somebody whose mind works in a very different way and I would say that that my mind works in a very different way than that of an engineer mm -hmm. when it comes to like project thinking or business mm -hmm. thinking and what I gained from listening to them it's absolutely incredible how much of a symbiosis that format is mm -hmm. and I think proves my lesson that I wanted to impart of talking about your ideas to other people and to other people who are not from that field, maybe even. Like a lot of musicians say they get the best feedback and the most interesting stuff from their partners, maybe, who are doctors and don't play an instrument or just from somebody out of the audience who gives you like an actual interesting th thing to think mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. from yeah. somebody who who's actually listening. <laughs> Yeah. You might get input that you would have never got if you would would have stayed in your bubble. Mm -hmm. I think with that as well, I, I get this kind of image, at least of myself when I'm in a room with people who do business or who, do, you know, do other things, is that I immediately become very cagey about what I do. I externalize my own fear that what I'm doing isn't real enough onto the conversations I have with other people. And um, I think that comes under the bracket of talking about things, having those conversations is also don't underestimate people's willingness to understand what you do. And, you know, also don't underestimate what you do. <laughs> you don't need to be sitting with a classical guitarist in a room to have a really decent conversation about it. No, exactly. 
quickly, Nick, what is a lesson that you are currently working on? Well, by now, you know that I'm most of the time like a very positive thinking person. But mm. um, whenever I have a lot to do, I tend to get stressed in such a way that it just becomes a lot of negative stress mm. and that I'm just like stressed out of my mind. Most mm. of the time I, I'm still able to like get stuff done but or everything in time also, but it is just so exhausting. And I know that if I manage to stay in my positive mindset towards mm -hmm. all the things that I have to do, no matter how much it is, it will be so much easier and I'll save so much energy. So what I'm working on is always reminding myself of that and then actually thinking about the work that I have to do in a joyful way. Mm. I'm In the end, I am looking forward to every single thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of projects maybe in front of me and I said yes to all these projects because I wanted to do them. Mm -hmm in the moment and then uh, sometimes they just happen all in the same week or the same two weeks and then it's stressful AF but if I manage to keep a positive mindset and manage to remind myself of the fact that I want to do this all and it's going to be fun mm -hmm. then I'll create positive stress or mm -hmm. stress I only know the German expression, Eustress, which is like what happens in flow moments as well. Like there's a, mm. there's a connection there. Mm. If I do that, then everything is just a hundred times easier. Mm -hmm. Because I've also been at, uh, I want to be careful with the word burnout, but some of the symptoms were there and like not having fun in anything anymore and not being able to check your phone and being afraid of things and all of that. And that comes from negative stress. Yeah. So this is what I'm working on to try and even though it's stressful at times to keep a productive and constructive mindset mm. towards all the things I have to do and just try and have fun. It is interesting. I've been thinking about this recently because I've been working a lot of hours every week. I feel like my compass doesn't have enough points at the moment to um, point in a creative way towards all of the things that I'm doing. That's a beautiful um, way of putting it. <laughs> but I realized, so yesterday I sat down with two pieces of paper and I wanted to write out the different hours that I'm doing different things um, so that I can try and optimize my schedule so I can get everything done. And um, I realized that there was, there's a positive way of looking at it and a negative way of looking at it. As an example, working in a bar, you can look at that as you do eight hours straight of heavy lifting, talking to customers and basically being in service of other people. Or you can think of it as time that you get to socialize and at the same time you're getting paid for it. It's amazing how you can kind of do like propaganda on yourself. <laughs> so you can kind of frame things in a negative way or in a positive way and it can be the exact same thing. And I think it's mm -hmm. so worth doing that because Mm -hmm. A lot of the time in our industry, every time someone asks how you are, the right answer is busy. Yeah, exactly. You have to be busy. And I think that's something that we um, learned from the actual business world yeah. or something, that uh, creatives have to be busy and stressed out. Because um, if you're an amateur, you have the time to love it. Exactly. But if you're a professional, 
you really need to show that you're professional by complaining all exactly. the time. Exactly. And it's beautiful <laughs> that you said you can trick yourself yeah. into having that positive mindset again. And not, okay, this is important. The reason that you're doing it is not so that you can work more. Exactly. And get more done, but it's just so that you can do the work that you're doing and feel good about it. You can remember why you started doing it. And without destroying yourself. Exactly. So mm -hmm. it's not all in, we're not yeah. all in the pursuit of productivity. That's not the reason. Yeah. In service of making yourself happy. And if, if that is also through, you know, finding your life purpose, instead of just having fleeting happy moments, then that's also wonderful. And that's something that in a creative industry, we really can stick by, is that a lot of the work we do yeah. is, is maybe not temporarily happy work. But it's work that leads into something that gives us really great life satisfaction, which is, you know, just as important. So yeah. very valuable. And you might not know what that is going to be, mm. like where that satisfaction exactly comes from in five, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Be sure that it's not coming from you either practicing five hours today or not practicing five hours today. Yeah. This is not going to change it. Yeah. So you have to take care of yourself. This is your job. Like be nice to yourself and take care of yeah. yourself. And sometimes being nice to yourself also means not doing the thing that you love doing most of the time. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. because you love doing something most of the time doesn't mean that you also have to keep doing it when you feel like, no, nah, not today. Out of all of the articles that I've ever written for Tonebase, the one that has had the most hits over three years is how to stay motivated. And I think we don't do enough groundwork with ourselves, thinking about why mm -hmm. you might not be motivated. Is it the environment you're in? Or do you just not like this maybe as much as you thought you did? And something that I've been reading about quite extensively at the moment is this sunk cost fallacy which is the idea that because you've made an investment of any kind, be that time or money, mm -hmm. you should continue to make mm -hmm. that investment because you've already lost, right. in inverted commas, so mm -hmm. much. You know, you should be constantly free to make different decisions because without trying to be too pressurizing and freak people out too much, if you're, you know, already in the middle of an existential crisis and at this point in the podcast, you know, you have one life, you have one opportunity to do these things and you should think of that as the most important factor in making these decisions. Don't think of it as in, I've created a pattern where for 10 years I've been doing this and therefore I should spend the next 60 years doing the same thing. No. Choose and you're free at any point to turn around and say, I don't want to do this. And also you're free at any point to put it into option. Maybe if you feel that you're not enjoying it as much, try not practicing for a month, a couple of months, half a year. You're free to do whatever you want. And you're free to come back to it. Yeah. You're, you're free to come back to it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Fragnot. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review and subscribe to be the first to listen to each new episode as soon as it's released. Join me in two weeks' time, where I'll be talking to Czech guitarist Pavel Steidl about breath, balance, and how to really listen.